The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. G'day, everybody. Um, nice to be with you. I bring greetings from uh, all, the, all the folk at Disciples Church uh, in Springfield. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just lovely for Fiona and I uh, to be uh, up here with you guys today. We remember fondly, like going back at Acts 29 conferences and so forth, and we, you'd hear Jimmy and Kirsty speaking about just this idea that they had in their head of, of coming to Caliandra maybe and planting a church up here. And so for us to come today and to see so many of you here, um, it's, it's just delightful. It's great what God is doing and uh, uh, to just sort of, yeah, be, be seeing it from afar but getting to experience it and taste every now and again. It's good to see so many Acts 29 churches sort of starting to get started around southeast Queensland. I was saying to a couple here just before the, the service started, I think we were one of the, the, the early ones and often when people would say to me, um, is there another Acts 29 church that we can go to on the coast or here or there, we'd have to say, no, sorry, um, haven't got anybody for you. Uh, whereas these days, it's very different. And uh, we've got North Coast, South Coast, even Toowoomba these days, uh, Acts 29 churches and in and around Brisbane and continuing to grow. So it's, it's really exciting and it's good that you're part of it here uh, at Caloundra. Well, um, Andrew just read our passage for today. It's a good passage. Um, David Morrison should be preached. You preached this at DC, I reckon, once, David. So, um, but I'll have a go at it today. Um, so let me just pray before I start. Um, Father, thanks so much that um, we can be in your word and sitting under your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you be doing a work in us today? If we need comfort, would you give us comfort? If we need conviction, would you give us conviction? If we need to be repenting of something, God, would you, would you help us to do that? And God, would you encourage us? to live out the identity that we have as your children, as God's people. Um, yeah, we just commit that to you. In Jesus' name, uh, amen. Um, well, I wonder, I wonder how the gospel was pitched to you when you first became a Christian. Now, if, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, um, that's okay. I'm really glad that you're here. Um, there's going to be a part in the passage that's specifically for you this morning, so it's really good, and I, I am glad that you're here. But for those who've professed faith in Jesus for a little while, I wonder, I wonder what the pitch was that kind of got you over the line. Was it something like, you know, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life? Like, did you, was, was that appealing? Um, or, or did someone tell you that you're a sinner and that if you don't repent of your sins then you're going to spend eternity burning in hell? Uh, was that the pitch that, that got you over the line? I've got to admit, as I look back over my years of trying to proclaim the gospel to people and share the gospel with people, I've, I've probably used both of those, those sorts of pitches, you know. Um, and it's not that they're wrong. Like, both those, both those things are true. Like, God does love you, and he does have a plan for you. And, and sin, sin is a thing. And hell is real and it's hot and eternity is a long time. Like all of, all of those things are true. But as I've grown as a Christian, as I read my Bible more, I think what, what, there's a thing that those pictures leave out. And the thing that those pictures leave out is this, suffering. Suffering. Because I think there's, there's, there's two certainties life. Two certainties in life. Some people would say there's three taxes. But, but the, the two certainties are one, that you will die. And, and the second certainty is that you will suffer. At some point in your life, you will experience suffering and pain and trial and, and, and maybe even that kind of stuff approaching tribulation. 
And if you do not have a robust theology of suffering, then when those times come, and they will, what often ends up happening is that you, you have a faith crisis. Because you start asking yourself all of these questions. Why is this happening to me? Why is God letting that happen to me? I thought God loved me. I joined the God team. Where's this wonderful plan for my life? What's the gospel doing for me now? What's the gospel giving me right now that I need in order to deal with whatever it is that's going on in my life right now? So passages like the one that we're looking at today, I think are are really helpful to us. The Apostle Peter wrote this letter to the churches in Asia Minor, which is basically modern-day Turkey, because all of the churches there were experiencing great trial, great tribulation. Roman Emperor Nero was the super superpower uh, in, 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 in that day, and, and the Christians there were living under great oppression. Uh, in some of the towns, you, in, in order to go and do your shopping at the equivalent of Woolies, uh, Woolies and Coles, you, you first had to go to the temple and, and, and worship at, at the temple, worship Caesar at the temple and get the mark on your hand so you could go down to Woolies and Coles and get your groceries for the week. I mean, that, that makes life hard for a Christian, right? And so these churches are suffering under that kind of persecution. It's the same churches that um, the Apostle John writes the book of Revelation to for the same reason. They're experiencing this hardship and what's happening is their faith is growing weak. They're asking the question, why is this happening? I thought God loves me. This should not be going this way. Things should be going much better than what they're going right now, okay? And so the Apostle Peter writes this letter to encourage. He's encouraging these Christians living under tough times. So how does Peter encourage these Christians to deal with the suffering in their life? Well, what he does is he encourages them to push into their true identity. To push into their true identity. It's really important for how you live your life that none more so than for the Christian. And so Peter zeroes in on this as a means of encouraging them to lift their eyes above their present trials, whatever those may be, and to see where they sit in a much greater, much grander perspective of what God has done for them. Now we did this clearly in the hope that understanding this truth about themselves might mean that they would live differently. Not, not, not in the future when things got better, not in the future when Jesus came back and made everything right, they're in the middle of the crappy reality that was their lives right there and then. They might live differently in that moment, even though their circumstances haven't changed. Oppressed, still persecution, still trials. You just let me know if you think that's too annoying. I'll swap to the other microphone. But I'm good. I'll just keep talking. Um, um, it's just, it, it's, this is why Peter starts the letter with this uh, idea of an inheritance. You go back and you read the first, even this is the first few verses, he talks there about an inheritance that's being stored up for you in heaven. In heaven. This, this, this is something that if, if you are a Christian, this, this is yours. And, and the inheritance that we get as a Christian is not an earthly bank account with a few paltry million dollars in it. The inheritance that we get as a Christian is 
eternal life, eternal life in beautiful fellowship with the creator God of the universe in a new heavens and a new earth where everything that's wrong with this world has been put right. And so today as we look at this, I remind you that if you're a Christian, then you're part of that, Peter calls them God's people, you're God's people because if you understand yourself as being part of God's people that's my identity that's who I am and you're going to live your life differently do you want to do the swap okay all right. I was warned this might happen okay I'll just use this all right let's just turn this other one off test test oh we're good okay all right um Okay, so let's go, let's, let's go to the passage. Um, so 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 say this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, Peter's about to quote a lot of Old Testament stuff. Uh, for us here so he starts to use some old testament analogy um, and hence the reference to stones we'll get into that a bit more in a sec he says as you come to him who's the him well the him is jesus the moment that you the moment that you repented of your sins and you put your faith and your trust in the personal work of jesus for your salvation that's what it means to be a christian um, you, you don't buy your way to heaven you can't earn your way to heaven it, it's, it's it's not for those people who think they're good enough it's for those who humble themselves, realize that they're sinners, repent of their sins, and they put their, f- their faith not in themselves and their own performance, but you put your faith in Jesus and his performance on your behalf. That's what justifies you. That's what makes you right for heaven. And the moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you, you, you begin a trajectory at that point. Theologians talk about, you know, the, the, the past, you, you have been saved, the present, you are being saved, and the future, you will be saved. But the minute that you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're on this trajectory forward where ultimately your Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, will gather you, will gather you with all other people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus into glory. Jesus, who is the living stone in the analogy, He will do the gathering. You're not there yet. You will be one day, but not just yet. In the meantime, Peter says the followers of Jesus are being brought together in this community. You're brought into a community of people. Never see your faith as just Jesus and me, Christianity. When you're saved, you're saved into the church. You're saved into the body. You're saved into the community of believers. And as we do life together in community, God refines us, he encourages us, he grows us. And he, and he often does that through trials, through sufferings, through, through all sorts of experiences and circumstances, and even sometimes conflict that we have in our relationships. God uses all of those things to refine us and make us more like our Saviour Jesus. So that Peter now says that we become living stones. Like Jesus is the living stone, but as he does his work in us and he continues to refine us and grow us and change us and make us more like him, we become living stones. He's the living stone, but we become these living stones as well. 
And all of these living stones, all of these Christians who are doing life together, Peter describes them as being part of the spiritual house. It's not a physical temple, but it's a spiritual house, otherwise known as the church, otherwise known as the bride of Christ, otherwise known as God's people. And, and, and these days, praise the Lord, we don't offer animal sacrifices anymore. That was in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, where God told the Jews, if you commit a sin, you've got to sacrifice an animal. And, and, and that wasn't that that animal then paid the price for your sins. That was just a symbolic act that pointed forward to the time when Jesus was going to come and he would make the ultimate sacrifice for your sins on your behalf. But that's how they had to do it in the Old Testament. We're now post that period of time. We're, into, we're, we're you know, 2,000 years past the time where Jesus paid that ultimate sacrifice. So we look back on what Jesus has done. So we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. But yet Peter here talks about a sacrifice. What's the sacrifice that he's talking about here? Well, it's us. We're the, we're the sacrifice. That as we live lives as, as Christians... We, we, we lay down a whole bunch of things in our lives so that we might worship God and love others. See, that's the order. God's, God's at the top, then others second, ourselves a distant third. And dying to ourselves, dying to some of our wants, our, our ambitions, some of our life goals, some of the things that we want to accomplish... Or just, you know, I want to watch the footy tonight, honey, not a chick flick. Dying to some of those things, that, that takes a lot. But that's the spiritual sacrifices that we now make. Some people say to me, Greg, what about my rights? I've got rights. Yeah, okay, you've got rights. Of course, we all have rights. But the Christian lays down their rights. Like, you can keep your rights. But the Christian is called to lay them down to worship God and love others. The Apostle Paul, he said, look, I could get married. Pastors can get married. But he said, if I, if I stay single, that just means I can go hard for the gospel. So I'm going to lay down that right so I can go hard for the gospel. He said, I, I could be paid for what I do. Pastors should get paid. But he said, I lay down that right so that I, I can never be accused of preaching the gospel for profit. We have plenty of rights and they're... And they're they're real, they're, they're rights, you know, as, uh, even as Christians we have certain rights, but we lay them down so that we can worship God and love others. And Peter says, these things, these are the spiritual sacrifices that we now make as God's people, as we do life together and worship God and love others. And then he pushes into this Old Testament stones analogy, kind of prophecy too, really, uh, in verse 6 where it says, uh, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion, basically Jerusalem, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So this is a quote from the Old Testament uh, prophet Isaiah that ultimately points forward to the coming of the Messiah Jesus, which for us is now back 2,000 years, where God came in the flesh to deal with our biggest problem. What's our biggest problem? Our biggest problem is the sin that separates us from a holy, righteous God. Now, I don't know what you would have said your biggest problem with as you came through the door today. 
you might think, well, my biggest problem's health, or my biggest problem's financial, or my biggest problem might be relational. But in the, in the grand, bigger perspective of life, the biggest problem that you have is the sin that separates you from a holy, righteous God. Sin started all this mess. Go back to the Garden of Eden. It was after sin that the world was cursed. We now live in this broken and fallen world where bad things happen. We're all very familiar with that. And it's often, you know, um, people who aren't Christians will say to me things like, uh, well, Greg, if, 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 if your God was as good as, he, as you say he is, and, and this world is in such a terrible mess, why doesn't he come down here and do something? And I love it when people say that because my response is, he has. He has. 2,000 years ago, God put on flesh, God in a bod, came to earth, lived the perfect life that none of us have ever lived, and he died. He, he, he died a death on a cross. He gave that life. Talk about laying down your rights. He gave that life as a sacrifice for us, for our sins. Then he rose from death on the third day to reveal that his sacrifice was acceptable and his victory over Satan's sin and death was complete. It's this Jesus who is the cornerstone of our faith. You take Jesus out of the picture, there is no Christianity. Pack up, go home, go to the beach, whatever. There is no Christianity without Jesus. Uh, even a watered-down Jesus, there's no Christianity. Like if you, if you take out his divinity as the JWs do, no Christianity. If you take out his death and resurrection as the Muslims do, no Christianity. They all acknowledge Jesus, but they, they water him down. And we need the Jesus of the Bible. We, 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 we need the Jesus who is divine. We need the Jesus who did die an atoning death for our sins. We need the Jesus who rose again on the third day. That Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. And they use that analogy in, in the Bible in both the Old and the New Testaments, because in those days, for thousands of years, if you wanted to get a building right, you had to get the cornerstone right. If you didn't get the cornerstone right, the building was a mess. You get the cornerstone in the right position, and then that cornerstone, and you put it all together, everything's right. So hence this analogy. If you don't get Jesus right, you don't get Christianity right. The whole building falls down at that particular point. And just like Isaiah says here in the passage quoted, whoever believes in this Jesus will not be put to shame. Will not be put to shame. In other words, if you believe in Jesus, your salvation is guaranteed. If you believe in Jesus, your sins have been dealt with. If you believe in Jesus, you will not be disappointed on judgment day. You'll be welcomed into glory. Build your life on the cornerstone of Jesus. And just like the builders of old, you will not go wrong. But then there's the other side of the coin. So let's have a look at um, verses 7 and 8. It says, So the honour is for you who believe, but, but for those who do not believe, quote, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, end of quote, and, new quote, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence, end of quote. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So either you build your life on the cornerstone that is Jesus or ignore him 
which means you, you trip over him. And, and the ultimate spiritual reality of that is you end up in what the Bible calls hell. So you either build your life on the solid rock that is Jesus, or the only other alternative, Peter says here, is that you, you trip over the rock and you stumble and you fall and it doesn't go well for you. So here's the demarcation. It's all about your response to Jesus. If you believe, then verse 7 says you get the honour. You get the honour. If you believe, you get the honour of being part of God's people. You get eternal life and you get that guarantee of never being put to shame. But if you don't believe, if you don't believe, it's bad news. Peter sticks to the stone analogy. He goes to Psalm 118. Um, and, and says, if you reject the stone, as the Jewish leaders did 2,000 years ago, like Jesus came on the scene at Jerusalem and ultimately they, they, they organised his crucifixion. He was the stone that God sent to, that, that, that turned up, but they rejected that stone. And so it didn't go well for them because God took that stone and what did he do with it? He made it the cornerstone. He made it the most important stone in the building. And then Peter goes back to Isaiah chapter 8 where it speaks of God actually being a stone of stumbling and offence for Judah and Israel uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. You remember um, when Moses took the people out of slavery in Egypt and they had their wanderings in the wilderness for 40 years and ultimately they ended up in the promised land and God, God, God promised them, he said, if, if, you, if you worship me, if you love me, if you obey me, then I'll bless your socks off and you'll have an awesome life. But if you don't worship me, love me, obey me, then I will judge you. And so the, the rock illustration that's used in that case is, is the, 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 the rock that is God would either be a blessing to Israel and Judah or would be a curse, would be a judgment and ultimately, we know that the people were unfaithful and they worshipped Baal and they worshipped Asher and they worshipped all these other gods of the nations around them. And so God sent the Assyrians and he sent the Babylonians and he completely destroyed them. So if you don't believe in Jesus as God's promised Messiah, then you will receive the judgment of Jesus and that will not go well for you. At the end of Psalm 2, there's, there's a beautiful couple of lines at the end of Psalm 2. Um, and, and, and it goes like this, Submit to God's royal son, or he will become angry, and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. And then the last line it says, But what joy for all who take refuge in him. What joy for all those who take refuge in him. So you can take refuge in the rock, or you can be destroyed by the rock. Put your faith in Jesus, who will be your rescuer, or you ignore Jesus, who will ultimately be your judge so there's a merciful warning here in in these verses and if you're here today and you're still trying to figure out the whole christianity thing and you're, you're still sort of you know trying to piece it all together and you might i'm really glad that you're here i believe in a sovereign god which which just basically means god's in control of stuff and i don't think it's a coincidence that you're here today and that i'm preaching here today and that you know, this day is just rolling out the day it is because I think God wants you to hear this. I think he wants you to hear this message. I think he wants you to hear this warning. 
And so if you're here today and you've not repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus for salvation, then there's a warning right here that's for you today. God wants you to hear this and he wants you to respond to that gracious offer of salvation that can only be found in Jesus. So maybe today's your day. Um, I, I, I don't know most of you, so I, I, you know, I can say all of this because I leave in a minute. Um, but if, if some crazy Christian brought you here today, have a chat to them afterwards. Have a chat to them afterwards or come, come back up to the front after, after the service is over. You want to you talk about how to become a Christian and, and just have someone lead you in that prayer of repentance and faith. Happy to do that. Happy to do that. We'd love to do that. Talk to someone. Don't just, don't just sort of go back into normal life after being here this morning and, and just sort of let this opportunity go by. You've heard the message. You've heard the warning. You've heard the good news of Jesus. But for those of us who are here today and are already the Lord's by faith, here's the bit that Peter wants you to know today. Let's go to verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Christian, know who you are. Know who you are. You don't have to live in fear, in shame, in doubt, in despair, in confusion, in the dark. You don't. Because you've been rescued by, by Jesus from all of those things by none other than the almighty creator of the universe who guarantees to you in writing, he's put it in a book, the Bible you're holding in your hands, he guarantees you, he guarantees it by the resurrection. He rose from the dead to show that he is the one that we should be putting our faith and our trust in. He guarantees it by the Holy Spirit who's at work in your hearts. He guarantees this. That you are his and nothing, nothing in this world is going to take you from him. Is going to take you out of participating in this group of people known as God's people. Before when you weren't a Christian, sure. You live in fear, you live in doubt, you live in shame, despair, depression. All of those things would feature in your thinking and your lived experience. Because that's what the weight of sin will do to you. But now that, now that you've received, because now you've received mercy, now that you're trusting in Jesus, it's a whole new ball game. It's a whole new ball game. So whatever stuff that you are currently experiencing in your life, and remember, remember, Peter is writing here to people who are under severe persecution. Like, it takes mask wearing to a whole nother level. Like, you know, masks are nothing compared to what these guys uh, were, were living under here. Whatever it is that you are going through in your life, please, please, please interpret it through the bigger lens of everything that Jesus has won for you. Now, now, now let me break that down a little bit more for you. Um, 
let's just say you're going to the you know the local shopping center wherever that that is for you and 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 you're running late and you've got an appointment and it's hot and and and, and you just you, you want a car park essentially you want a car park and you want a really close car park because you're running late and you get there and you're praying the car park prayer and for the love of god you cannot find a car park so what's going on in your mind in the middle of that moment you start interpreting you start interpreting god's love for you based on whether or not in that moment you are getting a flipping car park you do I know, because that's what I do sometimes, right? What this passage, what Peter is encouraging us to do, in the middle of what, whatever trial, and like a, not getting a car park is the most pathetic kind of trial, right? But, but even those pathetic kind of trials, we start to ask ourselves those questions. And what Peter is wanting us to do in this passage is to say, raise your eyes above the car park. Raise your eyes to a bigger, grander perspective of what God has done for you. Does God love you? Yes. How do you know that? He sent his one and only son to die a terrible death on a cross so that you could spend all of eternity with him. That's how much he loves you. And the fact that you're not getting a car park today, man, God just maybe wanted to teach you a little bit of patience, to teach you to leave home a bit earlier, to, to, to whatever, that there'll be some abject lesson that God's trying to teach you in that in that moment but it's not it's not a lesson that he doesn't love you verses 11 and 12 beloved I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war uh, wage war against your soul verse 12 keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation I love the description of Christians here sojourners and exiles I got a, a mate who planted a church in um, in uh, Wirribee in, in Melbourne uh, just last year and as church planters we're always we're always talking to one another what, what do you call a church like you, you got to start another church and it's like do you you steal a name from somebody else do you make up a name you know you wanna... anyway he called his church sojourners church and, and i just thought that's a cool name for a church um uh, because you know that's what we are we are sojourners and we're exiles why because this world is not our home this world is not our home Get that into your thinking. Most of the time, when, when we Christians get really upset about something, it's because we've forgotten that. We've forgotten that fact. We, we've, we've, we've lowered our eyes and we've started to build a little kingdom of us over here and, and we want this to sort of work out. We want all this to go on and we, we've got all these plans for what we're going to do. And when that doesn't work, when something goes wrong with that, we get all bitter and twisted and we start getting angry with God about my little plan over here. This world is not our home. We lower our eyes to focus on earthly things and, and, and we, 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 we run down a, in, into bad places in our minds when, when, when we do that. And so the temptation, the temptation in those moments, the temptations when stuff's not working out, the temptation when we're you know, getting a bit angry with God about what is or is not happening in our lives, the temptation in that moment is to give up Temptation in that moment is to take comfort in some worldly passion of the flesh. 
might be turning to booze, might be turning to a big outbreak of retail therapy, might be turning to pornography, might be just engaging in whatever, whatever you feel like doing, like blow it, I'm just going to do X. Because you want to experience some relief from whatever is going on. And so you'll sit for hours on realestate.com and just look at what my life could be <laughs> rather than focusing on, you know, the here and now of what he is. Well, what sort of a witness is that? Well, the Apostle Peter says it's a pretty poor witness. It's a pretty poor witness. Because that's just responding the way that non-Christians might respond to life's hardships, isn't it? So what's the better way? Well, according to Peter, it's lifting, it's lifting your eyes above the, the, the temporary trials that we endure and instead focusing on the bigger picture of the spiritual reality of who you really are. You're a child of God. You're a child of God. You are an heir. You are an heir. An heir along with Christ. You're going to receive this inheritance that he spoke of at the beginning of, 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 of this letter. Live your life knowing that you're an heir or an heiress. And you've got all of this glory and goodness coming your way. And let that inform then how you respond to what's going on in your life. Changes things. Changes things in amazing ways. Let me wrap up. Um, as Christians, we need to have a solid theology of suffering. Because you will experience it at some point in your life. And if you don't know how to handle that, then you'll very quickly have a faith crisis. You'll very quickly have a faith crisis. And those who've bought into the prosperity gospel, that, that, that's often the case. You might have been in churches that teach a prosperity gospel where they've gone to all the promises in the Old Testament that God was making to the Israelites before they went into the promised land. I'm going to bless your socks off in the promised land if you obey me, worship me, love me, you do all of that. And so you'll find people today, they'll, they'll grab all those promises and say, oh, if you're a Christian, this is how your life's going to be. No, it's not. No, it's not. Not now. In heaven, yes. Not now. Read the New Testament. We're never promised that. Now, what, what are we promised now? suffering and the apostle paul says if we join him in his suffering we will join him in his glory so if you bought into the prosperity gospel message and then things go wrong in your life you're going to be having the good old faith crisis again aren't you but when we have a, a solid theology of suffering then we're going to be able to endure in those hard times, which is, this is what Peter's writing to these churches in, 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 in Turkey, essentially, and, and trying to encourage them about. Now look, the Bible doesn't, pl please don't hear me today trying to minimise suffering. Suffering is real, and you will experience it at some point in your life, and it's hard and it's tough. We don't want to minimise suffering, we don't want to say, oh no, you don't worry about that, and, and, and just, 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 you know, build a bridge and get over it, and, and, and all of these sort of trite sayings that we apply to suffering. The Bible treats it really seriously. You go to the book of Psalms, there are so many Psalms of lament in the Psalms that are just people crying out to God because it's hard and it hurts. 
And life can be like that. Psalm 88, go read Psalm 8. A lot lot of the lament psalms, they end positively. But I will wait on the Lord or something at the end of the psalm. Psalm 88 doesn't do that, just gets to the end and says, darkness is my only friend. And that's the end of the psalm. And, and, and if you've got a brother or a sister who's, who's in the middle of suffering, or even sometimes a, a non-Christian will, will respond to this, you read them Psalm 88 and, and you go, Does, is that how you feel? They'll go, hell yeah, that's how I feel. And, and, and for the first time they, they might start thinking, the Bible understands me, God understands how I feel. And then you can lead them into how Psalm 88 points them to Jesus. Because as he died on the cross, darkness covered the earth. You know, that Psalm 88 is about Jesus. But, but we can take people on a journey to Jesus through that psalm, through their suffering, right? It's awesome. The Bible doesn't minimize suffering. But the thing the Bible doesn't do either is it doesn't maximize suffering. It doesn't, you know, you know how we catastrophize stuff and when stuff happens then that's all we can talk about? This bad thing and, and if this really bad thing happened in my life at some point in the past, and again, I don't want to minimize it, but, but our tendencies can sometimes be I want to maximize that so that that thing is now my identity. The Bible encourages us not to go down that road either. I've got a friend, his name is Tim. Uh, a week before he was to start university, he went for a swim at the beach, he dived over a wave and he broke his neck. He's quadriplegic. But Tim loves Jesus. And, and if Tim was here, I'd, I'd say, describe yourself, Tim. Tim would say, I'm a Christian who is a quadriplegic. He wouldn't say, I'm a quadriplegic who is a Christian. See the difference between the two? What's his identity? Is his identity in Christ? Is his identity as a follower of Jesus? Yeah, it is. And he knows that one day he's going to be in heaven, his legs are going to work, work again, and he's going to be running around with the rest of us. That's where his hope lies. And he, he processes all the, all the hardship in his life through that paradigm, through that grid. Why? Because he's part of the people of God. He's, his identity is in Christ and he sees above and beyond his earthly problems here to a greater place that Jesus has won for him that will be his for all of eternity. So I encourage you today to buy into the bigger vision of what God is doing. Because one day soon, you're going to receive that amazing inheritance that he promises and all the trials and all the sufferings and all of the hardships of this earth, of this world, will become a very distant memory. So friends, let me encourage you to live in humility, knowing that we've been saved by a gracious God and because he is faithful, he's going to bring us home. That's it, I'm finished, let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others. But please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.